Please join me today in today's scripture reading. We're in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Kind of strange, isn't it? Like it's not till Saturday, and then this is maybe, maybe not for you. For me, it is. We, we are going to continue our Advent series looking at our Savior, Jesus Christ, through the eyes of his earthly father, guardian, Joseph. And we've looked at these verses in Matthew already, and we'll, we'll continue to unpack these verses for our Christmas service today. When we look at uh, Joseph, there, there are many hats that we can see that he wore. Father, husband, um, guardian, carpenter, dreamer, protector. There's all these different hats. And one that probably doesn't get thrown out there too often is a prophet. Uh, what is a prophet? Uh, a prophet in the Old Testament essentially is one who's being used as God's mouthpiece to deliver some news from God. And so when God places his words in the mouth of a person to speak his words to people, that's essentially what a prophet is. So Joseph is a prophet. He called his name Jesus, verse 25. For those of you who haven't had children yet or aren't going to have children, when a baby enters the picture, it, it just really changes everything. For those of us who have had babies, we know this to be painfully true, right? Like it, it just drastically changes from the moment you didn't have this baby to the moment you have this baby. Just a few minutes earlier in your life, you never changed diapers. And now you're changing them all the time, constantly. Before, you didn't have to feed this other life, and now you're doing it all the time. You know, several hours before, you didn't even have to worry about it. Now they're just leeching off of you. And you didn't have this disrupted sleep schedule, and now you can't sleep for years. And some of you without children are like laughing nervously. But it's all true. Like, it's all really true. They change overnight. It's not a gradual change. It just happens. And so this is what happens with an arrival of a newborn. And here's something else that's so encouraging for you. There is absolutely nothing you can do to prepare for it. There's nothing. Like you cannot prepare for it. You can read all the books you want not going to help you. It'll help you mentally, but emotionally and physically, forget about it. It's, it's not there. 
So it's like swimming or riding a bike, right? You, you can read all you want about it, but it doesn't do you any good until you actually do it. And so it's the same thing as raising a baby. And we're all, we're all in good company with this because um, so many of us, that's why you're here. Your parents did that. And, and so it, it's not impossible. Uh, you know, we, we've all done this. And so there, there's a lot to be thankful for in this situation we find ourselves with, with modern medicines and the resources now versus back in Jesus' day when uh, not so many things. So we have a lot more. But Joseph and Mary had to experience what those who have had a newborn experience did. And, and there was so much more stress that was added on to what they experienced. The context into how this baby Jesus arrived, if you just think about that in terms of how stressful that would be, this family was just not accepted culturally by their own family because Joseph wasn't the father of this baby. And so they were shunned, they were uh, ostracized, and, and then there was this decree to murder all the male babies under two years old. And so they had to flee. They had to, to leave to Egypt to escape this inf infanticide. And so, I don't know if you guys have traveled. When, when I first traveled with my firstborn, this was just to L.A. to go visit my family. It's supposed to be five and a half hours. Eighteen hours later, we were in L.A. So if you can just imagine, like, Joseph, Mary, traveling, no car, no plane. It's already difficult enough with those modern things. But you're traveling this long distance further than L.A. from here by foot on a donkey. So just imagine the, the challenges and the difficulty and the stress. And there were a lot of things that compounded how troublesome this adventure was. And they didn't have any technology to deal with like, like we do now. Like, for example, for us, we can tell a baby's gender. That in itself is pretty divine that this angel says, it's a boy. You know, like 50-50, right? 50-50 chance, go for it. But that's amazing that they actually heard you're having a boy. And I know that there's these old wives' tales. My mom's one of these people that, oh, the way you're carrying the baby, that's a girl, or like whatever, she'll say these things, but she's not always right. But to know a baby's gender is actually very helpful, isn't it? Because it helps you plan for important things like a name. And so this angel says, not only is it a boy, it's Jesus. And so when, when we had our children, we, we chose not to know the gender of our first two children. And the last two, Katie did want to know the gender, so, so we did find out. But the first two were unknown to us, so we had to come up with two lists of names. A boy list and a girl's list, and then we kind of combined them and said, like, these are the ones that we want. And we debated all those things, and we narrowed those lists of names down and all these kind of things. Imagine all the hours and days and weeks and months saved by Mary and Joseph because they were just told, your baby's name is Jesus. All right, we're done. Like, you don't even have to debate. You don't have to say, like, well, I love my grandma and I want a name. Like, you don't have to do all those things. They were told that it was a boy and the baby's name is Jesus and they were done. My sister and I, we're, we're really, really close. She's, she's one of my best friends and we talk multiple times a day. I wanted my daughter to have her name. And so this was an ongoing debate with my wife. And so we gave her my sister's name for her middle name. Now, looking back, I'm, I'm not so sure that was a good thing for 
our daughter because my sister's name is Karen. It just didn't mean the same thing it did 15 years ago. And I hope and pray that it loses that meaning later on. Sorry, my sister, if you're watching. And my wife was very, very close to her grandmother, and she wanted one of our daughters to have her name, so we debated back and forth. And so we gave the name Angela as a middle name to one of my daughters. And so these names are more than just names to us. They have a significance because they are named after people we love dearly. They're, they're really important people to us, and therefore that's why our kids carry that name. And so when we look at verse 21 here, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so it's Jesus. Where else in the Bible do you read of someone named Jesus? It's not all that common of a name. Maybe Joshua, where it kind of stems from. But the name Jesus, you don't read of another one in the Bible, do you? And so people back in their family would have been wondering, where did you get that name? Like the, you don't have a sister by the name or a grandmother or a loved one. You don't, you don't have that name in the family. So this baby named Jesus, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And this is actually the Christmas message. You know, we, we have all these slogans out there about peace on earth and all these different things. But actually, I'm going to tell you what the Christmas message is. And this is all that needs to be known about Christmas. To know Jesus who will save his people from their sins. That's the simple message of Christmas. And that's the gospel. It's simple, but it's life transforming. It's to know Jesus who will save his people from their sins. That's Christmas. A Savior born to save his people. Not just born to Mary and Joseph, but unto us a child is born. And you, so you talk about uh, the pressure. The pressure you would feel to bear that name. And you talk about pressure to live up to this name, born to save his people. Many of our names have meaning, and even though people don't really name based off of meaning anymore, there are other things attached to it, um, like who's named after that in your family that you love, and so you want to name them after that person. But most of the time, people name their babies because of how it sounds, right? They, they like how the name sounds, like with their last name. There are certain names that just wouldn't go with like my last name. Like, I, if I had a child, I couldn't name the child Brock, right? Like, it's, it's kind of messed up, right? Ah, broccoli. So, um, so you kind of, like, shape it with your names, right? And so people back in Jesus' day named people because of the meaning behind the name, not necessarily because how it sounded, but because of meaning. And so when... You hear Jesus, born to save his people, they would have thought, that's, that's ridiculous. That's outrageous. Because that's a destiny that no one's going to be able to live up to. Save your people? And, and that's the destiny of our Lord Jesus. He does save his people from their sin. And you know when someone 
kind of descends from a royal lineage. There's an expectation on them. There, there's a, a destiny that is laid upon them, and that child carries on this royal name and the duties of that family. And so much of the monarchies that still exist in our world, uh, they, they've lost the power that they once had, but there are still many countries who carry on the name and the tradition, and some who still do hold power in their monarchy. And so when a child is born into one of those families, there's a destiny that is laid out for that child, uh, unless that child marries an actress from the United States of America or whatever, but I digress. Usually, that royal baby has a destiny laid out for them. But Jesus, sure, he's a descendant from King David, but he's pretty far down the line. And far from anyone's mind who would think that this baby has a destiny to one linked to royalty. And you look at how this child even comes into the world that no one can possibly think that he's even going to be close to living up to a destiny of King David. He's born to this really poor family. And so how's he even going to be educated? How will he have any power or any influence? He's not even born on a proper bed. Their parents are using an animal trough to lay him in a manger, right? They're just laying him in this animal trough. He's not born into a room with a dozen midwives to care or people surrounding the family to care for them or even a family that is proudly outside waiting to hear of the baby's first cry to know that they made it. They're not even existing. Why? Because they're humiliated by this couple. They're ashamed. They, they do not want anything to deal with them because they've been embarrassed in their own communities that they have children like that. And so there's no association at all with this baby or with this family. They're, they're off and about giving birth in, in, in a cave. And despite all of this, going against Joseph and Jesus and Mary, this baby that was born essentially in an animal's kennel, because that's where all the animals were kept at night. They just kind of kept them in this kennel and they locked them up in this cave and this is where our Savior was born. That baby has a destiny. And Jesus' destiny is that he comes to his people to save them from their sins. For Joseph, his people were the Jews. And Jesus did come to save the Jewish people. Romans 1, chapter 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so Jesus comes to save all Jews, Gentile, Greeks. Unfortunately, that message, he as Savior, was not received among his own. And John writes about this, John 1, chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so you look back to the Christmas story. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It wasn't the Pharisees and Sadducees who were there to welcome Jesus after his birth. Who was it? Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And this 
actually helps to fulfill prophecies in the Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, where it reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So these kings of the east coming by, prophetic. There is no end to this rule. They're going to come from far reaches of the earth to come worship this king. And so Jesus' reign will have no end. And, and it is why our commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, is also to go to the ends of the earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how you and I are here today, this Christmas service. Maybe there are Jews among us here, but I don't know if you are or not. You've never introduced me to you as one, but somebody in your family's lineage, or maybe even directly you, came from the ends of the earth to share the gospel of Jesus that eventually reached you. My story goes back to my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother was in part of rural China, and a missionary went to her village and shared the gospel in her village. She was the primary caretaker of my dad since a very little boy, and my great-grandmother discipled my dad to know Jesus. My dad, as I grew up, shared with me the gospel. He taught me to pray. And so you can see here this ends of the earth, this ends of the age, how that kind of got back to me and now to my children through my great-grandmother, through this missionary that I wish I even just had a name or even just knew what country they came from or anything. I, didn't, I don't know anything about this person. But it changed our lives. A last life-transforming change. And so Christmas, this celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, celebrated all over the world because of baby Jesus' destiny to save his people from their sins. To every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, to call people to himself is the destiny of Jesus. And that's what many Christmas carols are about. Let's just take a look at one. It's a very popular one, just Look at joy to the world. And I don't know how often we just pause and think of these Christmas carols that are going on, but many of them are, are not like a Santa baby or things, it's cold outside or whatever those kind of... A lot of these have actual really, really deep meanings. I shared Hark the Herald Angels Sing last week. This week I'm going to share joy to the world. Just a few phrases. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove and glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Jesus Christ is for the world and his birth marks the division in history. You know, our timelines are marked with B.C. before Christ or A.D. Anno Domini 
the, the birth of Christ. I know there's debate with CE, BCE, uh, Common Era, stuff like that. But really, those are Jewish scholars that were trying to make changes. But for the most part, the entire world, we still use BC. We still use AD. That's what we use as markers for all of history. You look at Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christ was born. He died, buried, resurrected. He's reigning. He's returning for you and for me. And if we are his people, his destiny is to save us from our sins. His name is Jesus because he saves people from their sins. The reason for Jesus Christ's arrival as a baby is to deal with our sin. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ has dealt with our sin, is dealing with our sin, will deal with our sin. And it's the only reason God needed to become incarnate like us. It's to save us. It's to deal with our sin. Now, there are going to be a lot of Christmas messages out there this week. And there are going to be people out there claiming to be Christian who are spreading a very different message than this, that Christ himself is dealing with our sin. They're going to be sharing many different messages about the teachings of Christ, and not Christ himself, but it's Christ himself who is important. And they're going to be preaching about what's within us, that there's a goodness within us, and that we are to spread peace within us, and we are to do good things within us, and that it's Christ's teachings that can bring, us about, bring about change in us, that we can usher peace in this earth, that we are to love our neighbors, that it's more about morality and how we can affect our world around us. But I have to caution you about this because it's only taking a look at Jesus as a professor, a teacher, but not our Savior. It's more about how we affect each other and do good for our world while not talking about our relationship with Christ. That's very dangerous. And it's very sly because it focuses on so-called good things, things that we're to do in terms of naturally, if Christ is our Savior, we, we are just to naturally do those things. But we can't focus on those things without looking at our Savior. Because this peace on earth, this doing good things to other people, you don't necessarily need Christ to do that, do you? 
because there are a lot of people that are doing that. They're trying to affect our world in many, many good ways, and they don't need Christ to do that. It has nothing to do with the birth of Christ then. Then it is not Christmas. It's something else. It's more about drawing out goodness in ourselves to where Christ isn't even a necessary part of the story anymore. The birth of Christ wasn't so that his destiny is to be an awesome professor or a good teacher. And if that were the case, then Jesus is unnecessary and Moses would have sufficed. Right? He gave the law. He was a great teacher. But his name is Jesus. It's not Moses. His destiny wasn't to draw out good from us as if we can bring peace to earth. Jesus' destiny is as Savior. And he came to save those who are sinful from their sin. And he calls us to trust him. It's more than just a professor. It's more than just a teacher. From a teacher, from a professor, we, we learn from them. We, we glean their knowledge and their wisdom, and then what do we do? We have to take exams to see how well we've learned the material they've shared with us. And then you get a grade. You get a grade, but the grade just tests how well you know the material. It doesn't test how it's changed you. It doesn't test how you're a different person and how you're going to live your life moving forward by knowing those things. He's a Savior. He changes you. And with a Savior, you humbly ask for salvation and trust the Savior that He can save you. Jesus came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He comes as an infant to come to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he starts from the beginning of life to do from the beginning of life what all of us have failed to do from the beginning of life. And so then that's why he goes from there all the way to his death on the cross in obedience to his father. Jesus offers himself as a sinless sacrifice for the sins of those who have disobeyed God. And by God's grace, Christ came to bear our sins. Jesus Christ is born with a destiny. And it is explicitly to deal with our sin. That's why he came. To be our savior. And he's called Jesus, which means God saves. Jehovah saves. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew recorded that Jesus will save his people from their sins. That it's not just a possibility, but that God the Father purposefully sent his son Jesus and that there's this intentional plan to send Jesus and, and divinely place him in Mary's womb to come forth as the Savior of the world. What is true of Jesus Christ's divine conception and birth is also true of his divine life, death, and resurrection and will be of our lives until his return. 
God sent his son as a baby for the salvation of his people. His son died on the cross for the salvation of his people. The Holy Spirit will work that salvation out in his people. And if you are one of Jesus Christ's people, you're safe with him. You are assured of salvation in Jesus Christ, that he came to save you. You can rest in the power of Christ and not upon your own weakness. That we have a powerful Savior who came to save us from our sins, and this salvation is, is more complete than some of us realize. We ask this question oftentimes when we're talking to people. Are you saved? That's the question we often ask. And if we do any evangelism, uh, which unfortunately the church is just not very good at doing, but if we ever do that, sometimes the church isn't good at asking questions, and we ask this question, are you saved? As though it's just a past event. But salvation is so much deeper than that. Do you realize that salvation is more than just a past event, that, that once we come to faith, it's not that it's done. The Greek word for saved has multiple layers to it, and it addresses several questions, not just the have you been saved or are you saved, but are you being saved? And then it also addresses this question, will you be saved? And that's salvation. Do you see how great our salvation in Jesus Christ is? It is an eternal salvation. It's not something just in the past. It's also something that's happening to us right now. And it's something that's going to happen for us in the future. That it's an eternal thing. It's not just this one-time event. Salvation is something that happened, is happening, and will happen. Christ died on the cross for our salvation. The Holy Spirit continues that work of salvation in us. And then there's this great assurance that if we are one of Jesus' people, we will be saved. And this isn't, isn't, this isn't about being in some saved club, which is why I don't really like that question, are you saved? Because it's like, I am. Check. I'm done. You're not. Because it's also about experiencing that salvation presently with Christ and then throughout eternity with Christ. It's not like something that just happens once and you're done. Now back to names. We named two of our daughters after loved ones, my sister Karen and my wife's grandmother Angela. And the other two we have have more biblical names. Not like Ruth and Esther, but Grace, Hope, still biblical names, and our hope is that that grace and that hope reflect who they are and the, those characteristics manifest in their lives. And many times we're, we're named after meanings or what, what may be, and we don't live up to those names. My name is Albert. You probably don't even know what it means, right? But, but it's supposed to mean Noble, bright, famous. Need I say more? Okay. Joseph named his baby Jesus. And people must have been thinking, he's crazy. Right? People in Jesus' school must have just been joking about his name. 
that kid's name is Jesus. Do you know who his dad is? Do you know his mom? His name's Jesus? That guy. That's what Jesus, Joshua, means. It means God saves. And people knew what it meant because in their Old Testament book, there's a very famous person named Joshua. So they know exactly what that name means. And they look at Jesus and they think, that guy doesn't fit the bill. I mean, look at his family. Look at where he's getting educated with us. Who would come out of those circumstances? And why would their parents name them God saves? I mean, he's this poor carpenter's kid. And he himself, when he gets older, is just a carpenter. He's not some scholar. He's not anything. And this stigma about Jesus and his family follows them his entire life. And you can read about this because the scribes and the Pharisees constantly questioned who Jesus was because he didn't fit what they saw fit of a rabbi, let alone a savior. And so this mockery from the religious leaders follows Jesus his entire life from birth all the way until the death on the cross. Take a look at Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourselves. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires for him. For he said, I am the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. He lived through that his entire life. The humiliation, the shame, just people deriding him, disrespecting him. And there he is on the cross, and he could save himself, but he just couldn't save himself and save us at the same time. He had to make a choice. He could have saved himself. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. So Jesus could not save himself and save us from our sins. He chooses to save us from our sins. And so on the cross... He bears our sins. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with of men, and being found, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now you notice that in verse 11, it doesn't say every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Savior. But that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because not everyone's going to accept Jesus Christ as Savior but everyone will see that he is indeed Lord. Not everyone will know Jesus Christ as Savior because they don't trust Jesus as Savior. And those who are saved by Christ, we have an allegiance to Christ. 
And one day we're going to stand in the presence of our Lord and our Savior. And the only ground you and I will be able to stand on in the presence of Jesus is that we called him our Lord. Is that we acknowledge that he is indeed Jesus who saved me from my sins. And to tell whoever the gatekeeper is that lets us in, I belong to him. I'm one of his people. That is the only ground you and I can stand on. You, you and I can't possibly say, like, but I did this. Because there's going to be a whole laundry list of things that, other things that you did or did not do. And it's going to outnumber it by a lot. But to say, I belong to him, I believe in him, and to have that be true, because you're not going to be able to lie your way in, and we'll be welcomed into the joy of our Savior and Lord Jesus. So this morning, is, is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? Or is he just this really good teacher that teaches us really good things about how we should live our life now? You don't even need Jesus for that, I'll tell you the truth, about being good to each other. Everyone teaches that. Every religion teaches that. Who doesn't teach that? But you need Jesus as a savior, not just simply as a teacher. He's more than just your professor. Because you know you're going to fail the exam. If you view him as a professor, you are going to fail his exams. You and I can't keep the law. There's no hope for you to get a passing grade. And if you think you're going to pass the exams, you haven't really studied your Bible. You will fail it. You don't want him as a teacher and a professor solely. You're going to fail. You want Christ as your Savior. And as your Savior, he, he seeks to save you, and you will not fail. He will not fail you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come this Advent season, I, I pray, Lord, that it has been something deeper, that it wasn't just like this surfacey fluff that happens, unfortunately, too often in our churches. That, God, that people really take an inventory of what their relationship with you is like how it's like and how they're living that life. And if they're just looking at you as a source of, of goodness so that they can be good, Lord, can, can that be washed clean? Can they acknowledge you as more than just a teacher but as Savior? May they acknowledge you more than just Lord because people who don't believe you will also acknowledge that you are Lord, but not everyone acknowledges you as Savior. And so we pray this Christmas that that is why you came. That is your destiny. That you came to save your people from their sins. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to work in the lives of people that if they're hearing this message, that it is more than just the words coming out of my mouth, but that there is a spiritual work that is happening in their spirit, in their soul, in their heart, in their mind, that they would give allegiance to you, trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.
after the service is done, there's going to be prayer in the chapel, and um, we'd be honored to pray with you. Get your life right with Christ. Not to pass a test, because you're going to fail it, but just to trust that the Lord saves you because you are his. If you have your communion elements, let's uh, take that out. And if you don't have that, just raise your hand. And as we take out this wafer, the symbol of Christ's body broken for us, and that destiny, he leaves us a piece of it to remember him by. And for us at our church, that we do this weekly, uh, this weekly sacrament. So let's take this together in remembrance of Christ. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. Let's take this in remembrance of Christ. Savior and Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what you've done, for this divine plan that you've laid out for us. And to be so patient, long-suffering, waiting for more to turn to you before you return. And we pray, Lord, that people's hearts are softened towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.